As we enter into the radio phase of our program, we want to welcome our KKVV listening audience. Here at Abundant Life, we are honoring our mothers today. And so, at this time, I'd like to take that pleasure to wish all the mothers a special tribute as we honor our mothers here at Abundant Life. Our speaker today is our senior pastor, Dr. Calvin B. Rock. He has a very special message for us today, and we want to give our attention to that. If you'd like a copy of this program or any other, you may call us at 647-2627, or you may also watch the program at www.abundantlifelv. Dot org. And certainly we are located at 1720 North J Street, Las Vegas, Nevada. Before we hear from our senior pastor, we will hear the scripture reading by Larry Mackridge, followed by a special sacred selection by Sister Juanita Sinclair, followed by our senior pastor, Dr. Calvin B. Rock. Hear ye him. Happy and wonderful Sabbath today. Amen. Today's scripture comes from Proverbs 31, 25 to 31. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well. But you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give, her, give of her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Thanks be the word of God. Amen. This morning, this hymn goes out to all of our mothers present here in Abundant Life and all of you mothers who will be listening to our radio broadcast. And I want you to know that God is always with you. All you have to do is reach out, call upon him, and he'll hear you.
Amen. Thank you, Sister Sinclair, Sister McClellan. And thank you to Elder Muldrow and the men for the many expressions. Now shall we bow as we pray. Our Father in heaven, what we want more than anything else is to be reminded not only of the blessedness of good mothers, but of the benedictions of Jesus, our divine Savior, who once said that he would gather us as a mother would her chicks under his wings and therefore provide us salvation in his name. Amen. Back to the book of Ecclesiastes, if you will, or the book of Proverbs, just before Ecclesiastes, where I want you to read with me again, verse 27 and on. Proverbs chapter 31. And if you're listening on the radio, please join us by turning the pages of Scripture and studying with us a message that I have titled A Profile of Motherhood. A Profile of Motherhood. And even before I read that scripture, I'd like to share with the congregation here in the auditorium a copy of or an outline of the message. And I'm going to ask the ushers to come up and take these from the elders and we'll distribute them. And if we have a deacon or two who is handy or a deaconess, you might also assist. Thank you, young man. And who else will help us here to do this quickly? Thank you, Elder Valdez. Thank you, Brother Williams. We do not have copies for the little ones, but I think there is a copy for every adult. No copies for the children, please, just for the adults. And if we have leftover, we'll give them for the children as well. But we want especially to know that the adults in our congregation have been cared for. We see that our pianist has one as well. And I think we can cover well. Don't try to read everything yet. I know it's impossible not to take a glance. But don't try to digest it. I'll do that with you. We'll go over it together. And I want to thank Sister Dyer and Sister Ellis, who worked so hard to put this together. It's a pretty little presentation they have for us here. And we thank our church secretary and uh, our office consultant, Sister Gail Ellis, as well. So, you're receiving this, but meanwhile, let's look at Proverbs chapter 31. And notice the word of God beginning at verse 27, read to us very well by Brother McGriff. She looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her what? All right, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Now, 
what I'm going to do today as we study together is first of all focus on what a good mother does and doesn't do and as suggested in the title, a profile of motherhood. But while I'm doing that, or I'd like to do that, by accenting, or as I do that, I want to accent the gift of prophecy through the writings of Ellen White. Many of you know that the Seventh-day Adventist Church is blessed with a prophet, Ellen White, who died in the year 1915, but whose writings have been collected and whose books are with us. And I have three of them that will be utilized today in an endeavor to show how she supports the Word of God. Now remember, Ellen White said, I am the lesser light to help lead to the greater light. The greater light is what, everybody? The Bible. The lesser light constitutes the spirit of prophecy, the writings of Ellen White. They are not on the level with the Bible, but as you shall see today, they help us understand biblical principles, and they help to illumine or to make clear very vital principles and values and rules and ways of functioning. So today, turn with me now to the first inside page and notice that we're going to look at this subject from four perspectives. First of all, the role of mothers, the what everybody? And next is the rule of mothers, what everybody? And on the other page, on the right-hand side, the rewards of mothers. What is that? And finally, we're going to talk briefly about examples of motherhood, negative and positive. All right, that's our task. Let us begin. The role of mothers. We've already read from Proverbs a very classic description of what a good mother does. But let's look now and be more specific in modern terminology and in some practical descriptions. First of all, please notice number one as we consider the role of mothers and let's read it all together. The mother has the what? Highest work on earth. Can you say that again? Hers is the what? Highest work on earth. Now some people may think that uh, Mr. Barack and Sister Hillary and Brother McLean and these other people are, are striving for the highest office on earth. But they are not competing for the highest office on earth. The highest office on earth is motherhood. Let me read you here from the book Adventist Home page 238 that says the whole future life of Moses the great mission which he fulfilled as the leader of Israel testifies to the importance of the work of the Christian mother there is no other work that can equal this mothers you have the most important job in society there is no position 
there is no work more vital to the welfare of humanity than that of mothers. And we'll explain as we go. In another reference, the same book, Adventist Home, and by the way, every family ought to have a copy of this book. About a year or so ago, I had a number of copies and we issued them, but maybe there's time for reissue. So if you'd like a copy of this book, mothers, fathers, to talk about motherhood, fatherhood, rearing children, how to get along in the home, the things we're discussing at five o'clock this afternoon, you can just fill out that little insert that you tear off on your bulletin and put there AH, Adventist Home, and put your name and phone number, and I'll see that we get one for you. But let me explain. When we talk about the role of mothers, we have to deal with the qualifications. Because if you're going to do a job, you have to be qualified, right? There are qualifications for what you do every day on your job. There are qualifications for what we do. There are qualifications for what these politicians are striving to do. And there are qualifications for motherhood explained in the little volume that I've just held up for you. And the following are some of the key qualifications that a mother should have. Number one is what, everybody? Oh, do you see it there? You're not afraid of it, are you? Number one is what? Number two is? Number three is? Number four is? Number five is, and the final one is, these are the primary qualifications for motherhood. So young men, young men, if you are looking for a wife and you expect to have children someday, then check it out. Make sure that the person with whom you want to yoke your life has these, there are others, but these primary qualifications and you're on your way to a successful marriage. Number three, let's all read it together. The role of the mother is that of being a what? And it is a greater, number four, work than that of the? And you know why? Because the king sits and pontificates and has to do with things out there in, in the world of, of politics and military might. But the queen is there developing the children and their character and their personality and they are touching lives, they are producing, uh, they are producing the product that will go out and make society what it is. Number five, she is a what? Missionary. She's a missionary, an ambassador for God. And this is another reference in the book Adventist Home and, or rather, Second Testimonies. And that's a series, these testimonies, there are nine of them. This is the second book, page 4, 65 and 6. But when there is no father in the home, she's also the what? priest of the family. Now the father, and we'll deal with this on Father's Day, has three major functions. He is the provider. Amen, ladies? Isn't that what he's supposed to be? 
Now, he might not provide everything, but he's the chief provider. And if mother's work is only to help him provide. But number one, he is the provider. He is the what? And number two, he is the protector. He is the what? He's the one that's supposed to see that all the doors are locked at night. The last thing I do at night is to go around and check the doors. Make sure that everything is safe. Father's supposed to be the protector. And he's also the priest. He's also the what? Priest. Let's see if we got it now. Fathers are the pro. The pro. And the but if there is no father, the mother has to take over and do all of them, probably. But certainly, she has the high office of priest where there is no father. And number seven, she is the first and primary teacher. teacher. And the book Child Guidance, a copy of which we also can provide for you, says on page 407 that, along with Adventist home, page 255, that the child's teaching should begin before the child is born. When does it begin, everybody? Even before the child is born. I read 255 of the book Adventist Home. The husband and wife are to cooperate. Now, doesn't mean here, fathers, that the wife or the mother does all the teaching. The two are to cooperate, but the mother is the primary teacher. And that's one of the reasons you ought to build your children up in the eyes of the mother. Or build a mother up in the eyes of the children. Because she is the primary teacher. That's her role. God puts something in, in women, in the female of the gender, in mothers. There are certain instinctive, there are certain internal components that God has, has placed with link the mother with the child. She is the best teacher. She is the first teacher, but the husbands are to assist. What a world we would have if all mothers would consecrate themselves on the altar of God and consecrate their offspring to God before and after its birth. So even before the child comes into the world, mothers, there should be some praying. The way you take care of your body. Do you know the way you take care of your body before the child is born influences his or her character and personality after he or she is born? That's a whole nother sermon. But the mother's Mental and physical state affect the child. And some people come into the world, some children with two strikes on them already. I've even heard of mothers who sing to their babies in their womb and talk to their babies in their womb. I don't know if it helps, but I don't think it hurts. Before birth, by ages 3, 7, and 12, these are three years that Ellen White gives specific attention to. She also mentions age one, but she states that by age three, the child is pretty well set. By age seven, 
the concrete has hardened almost all the way. And by age 12, you can just about forget it. All you haven't done. By age 12, God can loosen the concrete and pour it again. But it takes a divine miracle after age 12. So, we must begin early. And what does she teach? And you have the list there. She teaches, first of all, self what? Teaches the child self-control. That means the child can't have all that they want every time they holler. And some children are ruined from the crib because every time they holler and they find out how to do it, so they just do it and redo it and over and over again. And just to get them quiet, we give them what they want, whether it's good for them or not. But we must teach our children, number one, or among the earlier things, self-control. And then it's self-what? And then it's temperance. And you know what temperance is? Temperance is abstinence from that which is evil and moderation in that which is good. That's temperance. Temperance means nothing bad and a moderation of what is good. Health reform, what to eat and how to eat, and household duties, and care for their body, and how to work, and teach them reverence. You know, it's a good thing to play church at home. Good thing, mothers. Every once in a while, I'll tell your child, now we're going to play church and act like you're in the divine worship service and it's time to be reverent and respectful and, and to observe and to listen and to learn and neatness and honesty and the list could go on. And most of all, the role of the mother is to reflect Jesus. The child should be able to see in father and mother the temperament and the character of Jesus Christ. But not only must we be concerned about the role of mothers, there is also what I like to call the rule of mothers. And let me give you some do's and don'ts. First of all, do study each child's what? Each child's personality. Are all your children alike? I heard somebody say that it's an awesome thing to see yourself running around on two little baby legs. <laughs> but in every one of your children, you see yourself, don't you? We have three. And I see myself in every one of them. Some things I like, some things I don't like. But we study their personalities and we treat them equally, but we handle them differently. You get it? Yeah. Everybody gets equal treatment, but everybody has to have a different treatment because different tactics work with different children. So nobody is treated unfairly, but each child must be studied for his or her personality, and that is the work of mothers the chief work of mothers is to see to it that the child has that kind of individualized attention. And B, we must remain what as we do so? Cheerful. Remain cheerful. C, we must practice. And D, we must speak. And E, we must speak. 
And F, we must provide. Yes. Children grow. Children mature best where there's love. And where parents speak calmly and where children have loving embraces and where we are providing them what is known as tactile or personal touch and they know that we love them. Is this the way society is doing it today? I don't think so. We go into the stores and to the halls and to the streets of our city and we hear just the opposite. We hear parents cursing their children and scolding their children, but the rule is to be a rule of love and a rule of cheerfulness and a rule of joy. In Adventist home again, our prophet says our children should be reared where there's plenty of sunshine. We should open the, the windows. We should pull back those big, pretty, thick, and, and, and gorgeous drapes and we should let the sun shine in and the breeze blow through and turn on the music and make the home mothers a cheerful place where our children will love to live. And at all times, mothers, don't forget G and H, look out for yourself. While you're rearing your children, do go outdoors yourself sometimes and read. And you must continue to grow and take care of your person. And always represent Christian love, I, and make your home a Bethel. Now, what is Bethel? Bethel is a city where Abraham built his altars. And every Christian home, mother, father, must have an altar where you and your young ones pray and where the spiritual component is primary. It's more important than schoolwork and baseball practice. It's more important than television and dress. And what's going on even in the church is the Bethel you have in your own home. Amen. Remember, it's not the schoolhouse. It's not the church house. But it's your house where the primary training is done. And in K, Ministry of Healing, find time for your husband while you're doing all that work for your children. Remember, you have a mate and you have a covenant. Provide gentle discipline and M, and I like this one in the book, Adventist Home, remember your own childhood. Remember what you were like. Remember the foolishness you did. Remember the crazy things you did. Remember your own childhood. And if you will, as organized in these references, CG is child guidance, AH, Adventist Home, GW, Gospel Workers, DA, Desire of Ages, MH, Ministry of Healing, CT, Councils of Teachers, all these are books written by our prophet that provide the good instruction that uh, we have with us here today. Now, there's some don'ts that you've got to also keep in mind. Number one, she says in the Child Guidance 286, don't snatch your children around. B, don't jerk your children. Don't use loud voices. Don't frown Adventist home. 
and don't use force. Don't frown. Yeah. Don't frown. Just smile and say, come here. I have something for you. Mother has to take care of business. But don't jerk. In another part, she says, when you're jerking your children around, you're jerking the devil into them, not out of them. Don't frown. Don't, don't use force. It's only as a last result that we have to spank. I thought the children would say amen to that. <laughs> but that's the last thing you do. Use every other approach, every other incentive you can to get them to do what is right. F, under the don'ts, Adventist home, page 196, don't rush your children beyond their years. One of the saddest things I see is parents who try to make women out of little girls. And men out of little boys. You must understand that when you take your little girl and put her in form-fitting dresses and try to wrap her up like she's 16 when she's 11 or 20 when she's 12, you are only asking for trouble with a capital T. Every age that God permits your child to live has its own grouping and your child or children should stay within that group. They should stay with their peers. Don't let your children try to advance up into the next level. Number one, they're not socially able to handle it. And these big boys will take advantage of them. These men will take advantage of your teenagers. And number two, when they get there, they won't enjoy it because they've been there already. Don't rush your children along. And gee, mothers, don't let your children rule you. Now, I'm, 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 not, a constant, I'm not a constant observer of some of these TV, Jerry Springer and these people, but every once in a while, every once in a while, you know, I take a little peek. And I've seen some things where mothers are on TV with their daughters and they say, she, be she beat me. I said, huh? And it's defiant teenagers. Yeah, I hit her. And the mother said, can you tell us how, how to stop her from beating me? I can tell you how to stop her from beating me. I stop her from breathing. Well, I shouldn't say that either. That's it. Leewar said I should smile. Well, I'll smile. But there's no way your child should rule you, mama. No way. How did it ever happen that you're obeying your child and you're paying the rent and providing the food and your son and daughter 
is ordering you around? No. Don't let your children rule you. And H, don't make your husband, don't make your home a tomb. Now, what does that mean? It means keep your, keep, keep your, your, your facilities happy and light, as we've said, amongst the dudes. Don't make it so that the child can't go here and can't go there. Give them free rule, but don't let them rule you. Give them free run as far as the home is concerned. Let them enjoy everything, but never to be your master. Don't be too lax or be too stern. But now let me ask you a question. If, parents, you are in a situation, fathers or mothers, and you don't know quite which way to go, you don't know whether to do justice or mercy, and you're trying to figure out whether to tip toward sternness or toward mercy, and you, you have to make a guess and go, which way would you go? Justice or mercy? How many say mercy? You're right. You're right. Ellen White says in the book, education, if you are in a position where you're not quite sure, risk on the side of mercy. And we all need mercy. We all need mercy. In fact, I never heard anybody pray for justice. Have you? You have anybody get down and say, oh, Lord, please have justice. I need justice. We all need mercy. And if you're going to make a mistake with your children, now don't, don't, don't be loose. This Dr. Spockism that said, let them write on the wall and uh, kick and cry and, you know, don't restrain them. There's something bad about, about giving them restraints is, is, is not for the Christian mother, the Christian home. But if you're going to make a mistake, make a mistake on the side of mercy. And don't become a slave, I, and never use stimulating food, mothers, when you're rearing your children. Now, what do we mean by stimulating food? I don't have time to read it all, but in the book, Councils on Diets and Foods, and if you like this one, tells you how to feed your family, mothers, what to cook, tells you what kind of bread to use and all of that. It's a great book. You can put DF, Diets and Foods, and I'll get you a copy of that. But what is... What is important here is to remember that there are certain kinds of food that stimulate what Ellen White calls the lower passions. You know what the lower passions are? You want me to break it down? The lower passions are the sex urges. There are certain foods you feed your children. Meat, eating flesh foods. Eating heavily of eggs eating too much salt, eating hot food with spices. I cringe when I see people sitting at tables, mothers allowing their children to shake all that pepper and all that salt and the stimulation that it does to, to, to the body, to the digestive system. It irritates the nerves and the children become irritable and fussy and they lose concentration. And worse of all, their lower passions are, are aroused and you wonder why there's so much pornography. A lot of it starts at the table. How we feed our children. And mothers, you should learn what good food is 
and be able to give your children the best of diet and to help govern their emotions. And in, and here's a big one, never criticize Adventist home. Never criticize your father, their father, in front of the children. Now, you're going to disagree, you and your husband, mothers, but take him around the back somewhere. Wait till the children are asleep. Don't criticize each other in front of your children and don't disagree in front of your children. It destroys respect for the father or the mother. Don't deny children innocent pleasure. Always allow, never allow disrespect and always pray. Never forget to pray. It goes without saying. Now what are some of the rewards if you do this right, mothers? There are rewards in this life. You will have successful children. Now, it doesn't mean that every child that you put the, your best into training is going to turn out well. And I don't want to belabor it, but I've always told you many, many times, some of you have heard me say, God had perfect home training in glory, but how many of his children did he lose? How many angels did he lose? One third. One third. Did they have good home training? God gave Lucifer and that group, the whole group, perfect training. But even God lost a third. So who are we to think or expect that we're going to have 100% success with our children? God help us to have 100%. And some people do, praise God. But don't think it's strange or don't think you are a failure if you do all this right, and still some children don't turn out as they should. But when they do, what a reward. And grateful children. Oh, you know, one of the, some of the nicest days I've had is when I've gotten a letter or a statement from one of our girls saying, I didn't understand back then, but thank you. Isn't that nice? Yeah. I, you know, I, I told you all children are different, and, and um, our youngest daughter is the most, um, is the quickest one to respond usually. She, she says what she wants, and she's through. The middle one says what she wants, and she keeps on saying it. And she, you know, yeah. And the oldest one kind of withdraws, and she doesn't say much. But boy, when she does say, look out. And, and as I said, they take after their parents. Now, I'm not going to tell you which one is which, but it's all there. All right. But you know, I got a letter from that middle one not too long ago in which she was just saying, thank you. Thank you. You were right. You were right. Didn't understand it. And one of the great rewards of parents is when their children grow up and look back and they have their own children and oh, there's nothing like having your own. Nothing like having your own to tell you how smart those dumb parents were. <laughs> and when you get grateful expressions, it is highly rewarding. Respectful children who remember their parents on Mother's Day. Spiritual children who go to church. Grateful husband and husbands, we should thank our wives for what they do. And let them know we appreciate their sacrifices. And if you think housework is easy, try it for a week or two. 
Thank them for what they do. And of course, a clear conscience. And then their rewards in the life to come, the approval of God himself, who is our great rewarder, Adventist Home 238. And then Ellen White talks beautifully and appealingly, appealingly about the reunion that will be had someday when in glory, she said she saw in vision, she saw children who died in infancy brought to the arms of their prior suffering, sorrowing parents and babies placed in the arms of their mothers in the land of beginning again. Reunion with children and parents who have died. There is that day that is to come, the promise of reward that we will never get here. But it's a reward toward which we look and for which we can be faithful even in this life of trouble and sorrow. And finally, there are some very precious examples of what motherhood is all about. There's some negative examples, such as Lot's wife. Remember that mother? And how that when they left Sodom and Gomorrah, she turned back and was made into a pillar of salt. Her problem was worldliness. Mothers, mothers, don't get caught up in fashion and style of this world. The problem with Lot's wife was she was absorbed in what was going on in Las Vegas. <laughs> she had been overcome with the values of the big city and they were more important to her than the values of God. Esau's mother, her problem was what? Remember what she did with Esau and Jacob? And she arranged it so the blessing would go to the wrong son because he was her favorite, never should be. Another negative is Micah's mother. Read it. Micah wanted to do wrong and his mother agreed with him and helped him do it. That was the sin of compromise. And uh, Isaiah's mother, the king's mother, was guilty of wickedness, rank unconverted wickedness in her relationship to him and her other children. And the problem with James and John's mother who came to Jesus and said, look, look, I want my son to be prime minister and I want the other to be vice president. I want them to sit in high places with selfishness and parents, mothers in particular, we're addressing and challenging you today. It should never be named among us. But thank God there are positive examples. There is Moses' mother, and I'd like to commend her for being creative. Wasn't she creative? Amen. Wasn't she? She was ingenious. She, she, she knew they were going to kill the babies, so she fixed this little, this little, this little bassinet out of straw and put it on the water and arranged for his sister Miriam to go down and talk to Pharaoh's daughter and arrange so that the mother could be the, the, what the Pharaoh and his people thought was a simple substitute arrangement so that the real mother could train him for the first 12 years of his life. She was creative. And mothers, you have to be creative even we husbands and fathers may not all understand, may not understand always, but you are challenged to be creative in how you care for your home and make something and make things work. Sometimes your husband may not even know what you're doing. 
In fact, as I have talked with mothers and lived with one for a long time, I have found out that a lot of times husbands don't know what their mothers are doing. And it's good because they know the husband might try to rearrange things. So mothers often have to have little, little private arrangements that they're working to help their children along. Mothers must be creative. Samson's mother, I'd like to laud today because she was highly obedient. The angel told her not to eat this or that and not to shave his head, and she did exactly what the angel said. And because of her obedience, Samson went out to be a mighty man of God. And there's Samuel's mother, and oh, that's another beautiful story. Samuel's mother prayed that she might have a son. And when she had the son, she dedicated him to God. And even after he was dedicated to God, she still kept up with him. And if you haven't read it lately, turn over in the book of, of Samuel, in the book of 1 Samuel, and notice something very unusual and very noteworthy about this woman. 1 Samuel chapter 2. I want you to see 1 Samuel chapter 2. Look at verse 18 and on. But Samuel ministered before the Lord. This is when he had been given, to, been given to Eli. Ministered to the Lord being a child girded with a linen ephod. Moreover his mother made him a little coat and brought it to him year to year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. She not only dedicated him to God and gave him to Eli the priest to train in priestly function, but every year when she went up, she took a little present for him. She took his special coat that she had made and, and showed her love. She was a woman of perseverance. And Timothy's mother, 2 Timothy 1.15 says that Timothy and Eunice his grandmother were diligent, also 2 Timothy 3.15, in training Timothy in the word of God. In seeing to it that scripture was paramount in the home. So later on, when Timothy went out to work, scripture would crop and prop into his mind because it had been planted in his childhood by his mother. I have a mother like that. I have a 95-year-old mother down in Ontario, California, who had worship with us every morning and every evening. I have a mother like that. I have a mother who had worship every Friday when the sun was setting. I have a mother that sent us to church school all through our days. And there are times right now when I'm driving along or preaching or doing whatever, when scriptures will come back to me that I haven't read for a while or heard for a while because they've been planted there in childhood. I want to laud every mother. Don't think you're wasting your time. When you're praying with your child and teaching your child scripture, you are planting the seeds of righteousness and right thinking and right doing. And most of all, I want the Lord, the mother of Jesus. Jesus' mother, who along with those who are creative and obedient and perseverant and, and diligent, represents all of the mothers who are faithful in their task. Mary, 
was faithful. First of all, she was faithful, and because she was faithful, she remained a virgin. She was clean and pure. Now look. If some people here today have made mistakes in your childhood, if there are people here today, mothers, whose earlier life before marriage included wrong things, God is a forgiving God. And if you've confessed those and put those behind you, you can walk on with God from now on. And he says, I will take your sins and I will cast them into the depths of the sea as far as the east is from the west. God does that. But I'm glad for Mary because she never got soiled in the first place. And God could choose her to be the virgin vessel to bring Jesus into the world. Because she was faithful, she gave birth in a barn and never complained. And when I thought about that, I wondered how many women today would give birth in a barn and be happy to do so. But she was faithful. Because she was faithful, she taught her son Jesus the scriptures. And Jesus had to learn as a human being the very words that he had instructed Moses to write. But he learned them and he remembered them and later when he came under pressure he could say in temptation, it is written. And the it is written that he quoted were not the words of a divine God within the human exterior but they were the reproductions of the teaching of his mother and as a human being that he had to learn. Because she was faithful, even though she saw that he was different from her other children. And remember, Mary had a blended family. Mary married Joseph, who already had children. Now she had other children after Jesus. He was her firstborn. But he had brothers and sisters from his stepfather Joseph as well. And they never understood him. They saw that he was different. That he didn't join in their folly. And they resented him. But Mary was faithful. And she suffered with the boy Jesus. And when she saw the pressures that were placed upon him, her heart was touched and she suffered his loneliness and rejection as he was growing up even in his own household. Because she was faithful, she struggled on after Joseph died. And Ellen White says that Joseph died just before Jesus entered his ministry. His first miracle was the wedding at Cana. That was his introductory miracle to his ministry. But by then Joseph was dead and Mary had struggled for years in poverty. He left her with all these children. 
Matthew 13. He left her with all these children and she struggled on because she was faithful. Because she was faithful. For 30 years she treasured in her hearts the thoughts of his messiahship. For 30 years she was longing to see this boy that the Holy Ghost had told her would be he who should deliver Israel. She longed to see him rise up and do some miracle that would thwart the armies of Rome and reestablish the kingdom of David. But because she was faithful, she kept it to herself, never wanting to do anything that would interfere with God's will for him and the timing of his ascendancy. And it was only at Cana when the wine ran out that she could hold it no longer and she said to her son now do something do something prove it in her heart she was saying I know who you are I realize what 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 this is all about now do something to prove it and because she was faithful she was there at the end she was there when they nailed him, first of all bound him to the cross and stretched out his hands and nailed him to the tree and jammed that rugged cross into the hard rocky ground. Mary, his mother, was there. And Ellen White says in Desire of Ages and other places that as she looked at her son dying, as she beheld him naked, stretched out upon the cruel cross, as she saw the blood running from his wounds in his, in his forehead and his hands and his feet, Mary couldn't take it. She fainted at the cross. The record is she actually fainted and John had to take her away to his house not far away. And John returned, and during those hours of Christ's suffering, as he watched, he remembered his mother, Christ's mother, and he went back to where Mary was at his home, and she had recovered. So now John took Mary and brought her back to the cross because she wanted to see the last throes in the drama, still hoping that somehow he who had the power would come down off the cross. But instead, she heard him say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? She heard him cry out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And this time, our prophet says, that, that John and Mary were at the very foot of the cross and Jesus had seen he loved his mother. He and his mother were tight. He had seen her when she had fainted. He had seen them carry her away and now he saw them bring her back and one of the last conscious thoughts that the human Jesus had was about his mother and he looked down from his dying position and said, woman, behold thy son, speaking of John, and son, behold thy mother. 
And because he was faithful, John was able to take Mary into his home. Until she died, she was a part of John's family. And because he was faithful, John was able to write the book that bears his name and later on write the revelation that talks about the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the earth, the triumphant Lion of Judah soon to come to bring complete and total deliverance for his people. And if you and I are faithful, not just as mothers and fathers, some of us aren't privileged to have that experience, but if we are faithful, whoever we are, wherever we are, one day we will see him come in all of his glory. Mary was disappointed because he didn't come off that cross and he didn't slay his, his, his executioners and set up his kingdom. She never understood. But one day it'll all be made plain and all of our questions will be answered as well. And I don't know about you, but I plan to be in that number. Mary is in the grave. There are some people who think that Mary is in heaven and that she's assisting other people to get there, but our theology tells us that Mary can't help us, but Mary's baby can. Mary can't help us, but the child that she brought into this world now rules. He is king of the universe, and he's making a call for soldiers. He wants people who are willing to deny themselves and follow him. Mothers, I want you to lead the way in this consecration. Do you join me today in saying, by the grace of God, I will be faithful to those I'm still rearing, and even though mine are gone, I'm going to still reach out and do all I can to help lead them to the kingdom. Would you like to stand in such a consecration? Any mothers like that here today? Any mothers who want to join with Mary at the foot of the cross? Any grandmothers want to join with the mamas who are standing? Father in heaven, we thank you for the examples of Holy Writ. And we ask that your word will be a seed in good soil. Thank you for these who are standing, for their consecration and their determination. And while these mothers are standing, let me ask, fathers, and maybe you're just a mother in Israel like Deborah. Deborah said over in Judges, I'm a mother in Israel. Doesn't mean she had children, but she was a mother in Israel. Fathers, mothers in Israel, anybody else who wants to follow the lead of these good women who are standing, would you like to do so as well before we conclude our prayer to say yes to Jesus? I too look up from the foot of the cross. I too accept God's will for my life. I too look forward to the day of final deliverance and the full display of his power. Oh, Father, give to us that vision. Give to us that victory. And while these are standing in the last appeal, the last part of this appeal, if there is a man, a woman, a boy, a girl here today or listening on the radio who is not already a part of God's remnant, commandment-keeping, Sabbath-keeping church, especially you in the auditorium. You fill out that little slip, that little slip on your bulletin and tear it off and put your name there. Put your address and phone number so we can contact you. Give it to the usher at the door. And we'll see to it that you are given lessons and you are fully integrated to the system of belief that looks forward to seeing the Messiah when he returns. Father, 
accept our consecration, accept our dedication of these who stand, come soon and save us where we can rejoice through eternity with our mothers, our families, our loved ones, and most of all, follow the Lamb whithersoever he shall go. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.